It's a real pleasure to be here this morning, and I'm thankful to God for the opportunity to share his word with us. My name is Kujo Seneja. Many of you may not know me, but um, two of your leaders are good friends of mine, and they invited me to come be a part of you a few weeks ago. I was here again last week, and I really, really loved it because I feel the presence of God here. I see, I see God is doing something new in this place. A new day has truly dawned, hallelujah. And God is doing an amazing thing here. There's a prophetic word going on here. And I am glad that God has given me a word for you. I believe today's word is to encourage you, encourage all of us. And um, if you want a topic for today's preach, I'm calling it God Remembers, hallelujah. God remembers. And I pray that God will, will open our hearts and let these words bring encouragement to all of us. Amen. I'm going to be talking about God remembers, and I'm going to be looking at the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah, I believe, has been called the prophet of hope. Hallelujah. His book is one big book of encouragement to the church of God. Zechariah tells us that, hey, the church is never alone. No matter what happens in life, the ups and downs, one thing is certain. God will keep his promise. Hallelujah. You can summarize the whole book of Zechariah into that. And I'll give you a bit of a background to my preach today. The text is mainly from Zechariah chapter 1 from verse 1 all the way to Zechariah chapter 2 verse 13. It's so long, I'm not going to read it all. But I'm going to be telling you what's there. But to give a background, the people of Israel, God's people, disobeyed God. And God brought judgment upon them. So they were conquered by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And they were led into captive in Babylon for many years. We all know from Daniel's account and all that. Well, God being good, he brought the Persians to come and conquer the Babylonians. And he raised up a king called Cyrus who by God's intervention decided to free God's people and let them go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. So Zechariah is one of the people who returned. When they went back, they frantically began rebuilding the temple. They built the altar. They began to do their burnt offerings again. And they said they'll start rebuilding the temple as well. They were able to do the foundation. Unfortunately, they got tired. Enemies around them, bringing discouragement, depression from within. You know how life is. Some, sometimes things happen that just get you discouraged. For some reason, the work stalled. They did the foundation and they never continued for 16 years. The temple wasn't built. Then God raised the prophet Haggai. So Haggai came up and for four months, every month, he prophesied to the people, how can you go on living in paneled houses? While the temple of God lies in ruins, arise, let us build. And the people got up again, and they began building. Zechariah enters the picture at that same time, two months into the building project. God raised up Zechariah. And the timing is important. Two, three months into any new project, fatigue begins to set in. You know, you may not see things the way they're going. And so God needs someone to come and bring encouragement. So Zechariah came in two months into the building project. And he came to encourage the people of God 
to go on and build this new temple of God. It's a highly prophetic book. In fact, apart from the book of Isaiah, Zechariah has the most messianic prophecies. Prophecies about Christ, the Messiah, is coming. 41 times the book of Zechariah is quoted in the New Testament. That's how powerfully messianic and prophetic the book is. So we're going to be looking at not all of the things that Zechariah said because he actually, in his book, gave us eight visions, four messages, and two oracles. We can't do all of them in 30 minutes. But the key thing for us is going to be the, th- the first three visions that Zechariah had. We're going to be looking at them and see what God will give us from them. Interestingly, the book cha- starts in chapter 1, verse 1, with an introduction of who Zechariah was. Tells us what had happened. God had brought them back and tells us that God raised this guy called Zechariah. And he tells us his full name. Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. And that is very important. The word Zechariah, or the name Zechariah, means Yahweh remembers. Hallelujah. It means God remembers. And his father's name, Berechiah, means the Lord blesses. And his grandfather's name, Edo, means at the appointed time. So Zachariah's name summarizes his message. He says, the Lord remembers and he blesses at the appointed time. I don't know what you're going through in your life right now. Things will be going downwards. Things will be looking negative. But hey, be encouraged. God remembers. He remembers. And he blesses. He restores. He rewards at the right time. And that's what the problem usually is. The timing. The timing. Sometimes it takes too long, doesn't it? Sometimes you have prayed and prayed. You have fasted and fasted. You have sown and sown. But remember, God remembers. And he blesses at the appointed time. I believe that his name alone summarizes his whole message. But there's more for us. So we're going to delve into the first three visions that Zechariah had. And we'll see what comes out of them. I pray that God will use these visions to encourage us. To help us see that, hey, not just you as an individual, but as a church, his church in the nations, there is hope for us. So let's enter into the first vision that Zechariah had. The first vision I'll call the man on the red horse. Zechariah chapter 1 from verse 7 to 17. In this vision, God made him see a number of horses with people riding them. And there was one that was a red horse and there was a man on it. And this man was like a leader. The other horses and the riders had gone around the whole world, surveying the world, and they had come back to report to him. So he asked what's going on in the world. They said, the whole world is at peace. There's rest all over the world. But remember at this time, Israel, God's people, were still not settled yet. There was unrest among them, while the rest of the world was at peace. There's something here to encourage us. Sometimes we think that God doesn't see what's going on, but God sees. We so often hear about the enemy like a roaring lion, moving to and fro, seeking whom to devour. But this scripture tells us that God also has his armies going around. And they report to him the state of affairs in the world. He's not ignorant. 
He knows what is going on. God is not blind. He sees. He knows. He's fully aware. And he responds as well. Hallelujah. For the man on the red horse is none other than our warrior king. Revelation confirms that. Daniel confirms that. It was our Lord Jesus himself. The king of kings and the lord of lords. He has his hosts. And they are surveying the earth. This morning as churches gather, they are going around. They are surveying. They know all that is going on. The captain of the Lord's host, our redeemer, our deliverer, our great intercessor, the prince of peace, the Lord mighty in battle. Brothers and sisters, he is watching. He knows all that's going on. This should encourage us that we are never alone. God knows everything. He sees our suffering. He sees our pain. He sees our struggles. He sees the betrayal. He sees all that we are going through. He knows about it. He is not ignorant. At the appointed time, at the appointed time, he will restore. At the appointed time, he will bless. Hallelujah. That is what the first vision tells us. That he saw all this. And he tells us that there's no need to be disillusioned. He's monitoring the affairs. Amen. Vision number two, Zechariah chapter 1, 18 to 21. It's an interesting one. Zechariah saw suddenly four horns. He didn't see the animals themselves, just horns. Four horns. And then he was scared. Because the four horns had been sent to terrify the people of God. Horns speak about might and power and authority. Talks about attack. The book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, they all give prophetic insight to what horns are like and usually represent nations. And prophetically speaking, we would say that in the immediate, these horns represented countries that were going to come and attack the people of God. Initially the Babylonians, then the Media Persians, then came the Greek, and then finally the Romans. They attacked God's people. But that is only the short term. Because all prophecy tends to be faced and have different interpretations for different timings. So, for example, God promised David, your son will sit on your throne and he will build my temple for me. In the physical, in the immediate, in the Old Testament, his son Solomon built a temple and sat on the throne, isn't it? But we all know that spiritually, there was a longer term interpretation of that dream or that vision or that prophecy. The son of David was going to come. Jesus himself. And he said, he will break down the temple and raise it up in the third day. So there's another temple. There's another king. There's another son of David going to come in the spirit. So the Old Testament often is a shadow of the things to come. So we see here the four horns represented by these nations. This prophecy was fulfilled. Daniel records it fully as well for us. They came. They conquered. And eventually took over God's people, okay? But I want us to look at it in the longer term. In today's world, what does this mean? I believe that the people of God today, represented by Israel then, represented by the church of God today, amen? And the church is a temple of God today. We as living stones, the Bible says, are being built into God's spiritual house. Know you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? We are God's temple today. 
And God is seeking to build his temple in the world today, to build a church in the world today. And today, horns are still being raised to fight God's people. We can go into not too long ago history, and we see how all these people conquered the church, conquered God's people. Then Jesus Christ came. He began to establish his new temple, the early church. Soon enough, the Romans came again, and they conquered the early church. The church was subdued for many years, which we call the dark years. The truth that the early apostles thought was subdued. And the horns always want to exalt themselves and anything they can above the knowledge of Christ. And that is what happened to the church in the dark ages. The truth was put under lock and key. If you know church history, you know what I'm talking about. For many years, people were not allowed to read the Bible. You know that. For many years, you weren't allowed to read the Bible. It was, it was like a, a sin for a lay person. It was only for the priests. For many years, the Bible could not be translated into any language apart from Latin. For many years, there were dark ages for the church. The horns came in, suppressed God's people, stopped the building of the church of God, stopped the building of the temple, even though the foundation had been laid in Christ Jesus. So it's similar to what happened in Zechariah's time. But it happened again. And I want to just talk about some of the key things that were affected. Man was exalted above Christ. Man was given sometimes the same authority as Christ. That is not right, is it? It's not right. Exalting anything above the knowledge of Christ. They believe that some human beings are infallible. They are super leaders, human as they are, having given superhuman abilities. And they are infallible. Their words are secret. The gospel was hidden from people. The way to salvation was changed. You had to pay indulgences. Salvation went to the highest bidder. Even after your father or mother died or your brother or sister died, you can go see the priest and pay some big amounts of money. They'll pray for their souls. They'll, they'll escape purgatory. They'll go to heaven. Did you know that? We need to know church history. The church has gone through times of trial and persecution. Times when men have sought to put God's truth underground. The church has gone through a lot. You couldn't, you couldn't preach a gospel anywhere. It was not allowed. And priests came up, men who had mediators between God and other men. You couldn't go to God directly. Who, I mean, how dare you? You need a priest to do some things for you. Even confession of sins, you had to go through a man. Sometimes we, we put these things aside, but they are big, big things in terms of what God wants to do in the world and the church today. These were huge impediments, and we still have traces of them in the church today. But I thank God that a vision didn't end with the four horns. In Zechariah chapter 1, you read on, and when he saw the horns, he was terrified. But then the angels interpreted the dream, and they, they told him, don't worry, just look here. He turned and he looked, and there was another vision. This time he saw what he describes as four craftsmen. Hallelujah. Some versions say four carpenters. And he was like, who are these? What are they here to do? He said, these are the ones who have come to fray or destroy the horns, hallelujah. So the horns came to terrify God's people, but God released the four craftsmen to come and consume the horns and to save and rescue his people, hallelujah. In the immediate, Bible scholars interpret it to be the various kings. So when the Babylonians were there, the Median Persians came, so Cyrus and Co. were the ones, the craftsmen who destroyed the first horn. That the thing that the Greek now came to destroy this, it could be so, Maybe not, the Bible didn't tell us directly. It just said there were four craftsmen. 
that were sent to destroy the horns. It tells us that God sees. It tells us that to every challenge, the answer is also there already. Just like Elisha's servant, when he saw the enemy army, that's all he could see, the enemy. But Elisha had to pray for his eyes to be opened. Then he saw that there were chariots, angels all around them. In the same way, whenever the challenges come, brothers and sisters, we don't see the answers, we don't see the craftsmen, but God raises craftsmen as well. No, lo- no matter how long the terror lasts, listen, the craftsmen always come up and they fight it. In the dark ages, God raised craftsmen. He raised men like John Wycliffe, men who gave their lives for the truth. They said, this is not in the Bible. This is not what God teaches. This is the tradition of men. This is against the word of God. And they gave their lives for that. A lot of them were killed. I googled the martyrs in the dark ages. It's a long list on Wikipedia. You should go and look at it. People died because they were fighting to get the word of God to us. They translated the Bible. They said, no, we can't allow the Bible not to be translated. The common man can read the word. Brothers and sisters, there's so many things we take for granted today. But people died for us to have it. God raised craftsmen to bring these things to us. There was John Huss as well. He also died because he said, no, church, what you are saying is wrong. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. He translated the Bible. They killed him. They killed him. So many others died. But God used them slowly, slowly to bring the word of God. This Bible we hold in our hands today. God used them to bring truth back to the people of God. Then thank God, people who read these things that they had translated. Bible now was in English, now was in German. So even men like Martin Luther could not read the Bible in German in his own country. And he was a priest, but when he read it, he said, no. What these guys are saying, it's true. The church has got it wrong. And so the Reformation came up. Another huge craftsman, Martin Luther. Then there was John Calvin. They fought the church to help these truths be restored to us. What are the key truths they fought for? Today is lost to many of us, but we must remember them. We must remember them. It's a nice way of summarizing the great truths that the reformers fought to restore to the church is the five solas. The five solas. Remember the five solas. Sola scriptura. That's in Latin. Sola scriptura means that scripture alone. They fought for that. They said the church must be built on the scripture and scripture alone. And the Bible is our final authority. Many were killed for insisting on that. They were killed. You need to read this this and know about it. Because it's happening again in our times. Men are exalting other things above the word of God again today. If we don't know these things, how people fought to bring this to us, we take it for granted. People died for the scripture to be established as the only authority for the church. Not papal power, not papal dictates, not the traditions of men. People fought for it. They shed their blood for it. The second sola is sola fide, faith alone. Where it says that we are saved by faith in Christ alone. Listen, people fought and died for this truth as well. Many were killed because they said it is not indulgences that bring salvation. It is not your priest laying hands on paper that brings salvation. It is faith in God alone that brings salvation. People died and gave their lives for the third solar, solar gratia, grace alone. 
We are saved by the grace of God alone. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 summarizes all this. Only grace saves us. It's not by works. Martin Luther himself was so struggling for the salvation of his soul that he used to crawl some huge steps on his knees until his knees got sore, punishing his body so that he would get salvation. Then he read the scriptures and understood that for the just, uh, justified, that what, we are justified by faith alone and faith alone, right? He read that and that changed everything for him. He saw it wasn't by works anymore. Brothers and sisters, people died for these truths. These were craftsmen. God raised them up to bring truths to us. Then there's Solus Christus, Christ alone. It says Jesus Christ alone is our Lord, Savior, and King. No other person, no king anywhere else. No pope anywhere else. No pastor anywhere else. Only Christ Jesus. Again, people died for these truths. Please read about these things. Read church history and know how people fought for the truths that we take for granted today. The final is solely due gloria, to the glory of God alone. This one says we live for the glory of God alone. Not for our own glory. Not for the glory of any man. Not for the glory of any church. We live for the glory of God alone. So the five solas are the core teaching of the Reformation. This is what Luther and the others fought for. To restore the church. Because the church had been so corrupted that these five things were not there anymore. It wasn't solar scripture anymore. It wasn't scripture alone. The writings of the fathers had the same authority as the scriptures. Papal dictates had the same authority as the scriptures. They fought these things. To tell the truth, there are some of the things that up to today haven't changed yet. But that's a whole thing. I can't go into that now. A big one, for example, we have used grace to cover it, but it's a big one, which is even the Sabbath itself, which used to be on a Saturday. It was the Pope that changed it to a Sunday. That's the kind of authority they had. You read church history, you understand the battles the church had to fight in those dark ages. And today we take it for granted. But many gave their lives for these things. Why am I talking about all of this? Because listen, brothers and sisters, the horns are still with us today. Today there are horns around us. People are still being exalted above Christ. People's sayings and writings are being exalted above the scriptures. People are still teaching salvation outside of Christ. It's not faith and faith alone. People are still depending on works to be saved. Brothers and sisters, there is work for us to do. But I have good news for you. I have good news for you. Even today, God is raising craftsmen again. And we find it right there in the scriptures, Ephesians chapter 4. We find that God has raised craftsmen to build his church. Ephesians tells us that he has raised apostles. He has raised prophets. He has raised evangelists. He has raised pastors and teachers. Ephesians 4, 7 to 13. Please find time to read it. Time, time doesn't allow me to give you all of that. But what, what is their job? What are they meant to do? It tells us that in verse 11, it is God who gave them this. And verse 12 says, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The temple of God is the body of Christ today. So we are still building that same temple. Though. The work is not over from Zacharias times. We want to build the temple of God until we all reach unity in faith, in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So our craftsmen today, our apostles and prophets 
evangelists, pastors, and teachers. They are men who have been given a job to do. And this job is no more building of physical temples with blocks and stones and mortar. It is to build you and I up together. That is the job God has given the craftsmen today. And right here amongst you, amongst your leaders, you have craftsmen. Listen, for the first temple to be built, God called Moses, Exodus 31, and told him, go for Bezalel, go for Oholiab. He says, I have filled them with the wisdom and knowledge and understanding and given them gifts to work with gold and silver and all metals and with wood. And they were given instructions how to build the temple, how to build the altar, how to do things around it. But he also says that I have given them skills to train other skills men to work with them. They were craftsmen that God used to build the first temple. But this new temple is not a physical building, brothers and sisters. This new one is being built with living stones. You and I being built into the temple of God. And God is still using these craftsmen. He's using the leaders, the apostles, the prophets, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists. What the old craftsmen did was to take raw materials, gold, silver. And somehow with the skill God gave them, they were to bring something useful and good out of the raw material. And God is doing the same today. We are all raw material without Christ. But he gives people skill to take raw material like us and shape us and form us and mold us. We call that discipleship. So the evangelists bring the truth to us. Then the pastor teachers, the apostles, the prophets, they bring the word. And the word of God is more powerful than a hammer and a chisel, brothers and sisters. The word of God shapes. The word of God forms. The word of God builds. And he's building his church today. If only we will see what God is doing. If only we will behold his glorious church. If only we will submit to him. He will form in this place a glorious temple. A beautiful church that will reflect all of his majesty and power. A church that will build exactly as he has shown it to be built. And God is particular about that. And if you have any doubts about this, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 6 is there to help us know that we are not fighting like they fought in those days. Now we wage war not as the world does. We fight with weapons that are not of the world. We fight with weapons that have divine power to demolish strongholds. Demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments, you know? Arguments. It's a mind thing. We demolish every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is what the craftsmen of today are doing. They take the word of God by the spirit of God. And they form in a right way of thinking. They disciple us. They train us. They mold us. They shape us into what God wants us to be. Hallelujah. Again, Ephesians 6, 12 to 18 gives us an idea. The weapon by which we fight. It's not, it's not chisel and hammer. It's not axes. It's not spears. It's not guns anymore. Brothers and sisters, it is truth from God's word. Scripture and scripture alone. Faith and faith alone. Grace and grace alone. In Christ and Christ alone. To the glory of God, the glory of God alone. Oh, that's our churches who hear this today. Today we have craftsmen who have, have, have gone off the, 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 the script. Craftsmen who don't depend on scripture alone. Craftsmen who don't believe in salvation by faith through grace alone. Craftsmen who don't believe it's all for God's glory alone. Craftsmen who think it's about their own glory today. They think it's about the glory of man. Even some still think it's about the buildings and the stones. The bigger you have, the better. 
the more of the people you have, the better. But it's not the physical people, brothers and sisters. It's the community that is being built. It's the discipleship that's going on. It's the arguments that are being demolished. It's the struggles that are being brought down. It's the lives that are being formed. It's the culture that is being built. That's why I love the name of your church, Accra Community Church. Listen, the emphasis is on community. It's not numbers. What is numbers if we are not together, if we are not family, if we don't have our own culture based on scripture? Then, then what is it? It's useless. And so I'm excited when I see what God is doing in the world today. He says, therefore, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. Hosea chapter 6 verse 5. The word of God cuts people into pieces and builds up. Jeremiah 23, 29. It's not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. Brothers and sisters, the scriptures, the word of God shapes us and molds us. Hebrew 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That is what this work is about. It's about forming people. It's about craftsmen taking raw materials, shaping them, molding them, creating something new to the glory of God, building a community that is seeking to go out there and establish the church as God wants it to be. Finally, I'll end with the vision, the third vision, chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. In this one, there was a great prophecy. It says, Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of a great number of men and livestock in it. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I'll be its glory within. The Lord speaks restoration. All these things are going on around us, but God is doing something new. Hallelujah. He will build his church. Hallelujah. God will build ACC, Accra Community Church. Hallelujah. God is building his church around the world. Do not be discouraged. Don't let the horns terrify you. The craftsmen are at work. But you see, God's craftsmen, they don't come out with big names and with big colors. And so you don't, we will not see and recognize them amongst you. But they are here amongst you. God has given them skill. He has filled them with his spirit. He has given them the word. You call them by names like N.K., you call them by names like Jonas. You call them by names like Matthew. You just call them by first names. There's someone, they say Gee, Kelvin. But listen, they are craftsmen who have been given the spirit of wisdom and knowledge. They've been given skills. And their job is to form us, all of us here, into God's glorious church. Into a community of people who have been discipled and who are living for God. And this will be done. God himself will protect you as a fire. God's glory will be within. Hallelujah. And finally, again, the third vision from Zechariah 2, 6 to 9. He actually speaks of a calling of people to come in. He says, come, come from verse 6. Flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Come, O Zion. Escape, you who live in the daughter of Babylon. For this is what the Lord Almighty says. Talks about the restoration. And he says, whoever touches the church will be in trouble. He says, for whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. I will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them. And then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me. There's a call to return to God, brothers and sisters. Come to him. Come to him. He has great plans for us. He has amazing plans for us. Don't be disheartened. Don't be disillusioned. Things that are happening are terrifying. The horns can put you down. But listen. God remembers. He remembers. He sees. And at the appointed time, he restores. 
he blesses. With prophetic eyes, you will see all over the world, there's a new wave already. The end of the mega church is near. It's happening already. Now people are beginning to realize that we need communities. We need communities where people can be together, where they will do life together, where we disciple each other and help each other grow in Christ. Creating new cultures, New Testament church cultures. And that is what I love about ACC. That's what I love about your leaders here. There are people who have seen this new work of God. There are people who are eager that God and God alone will be glorified. This work here is not about any man. This work here is for the glory of God alone. I have had a chat with them, and I know where their heart is. You are in a good place. Give yourself to it. Without the stones, the building will not come up. You are the living stones that God is using to build his church. And he has a great plan. It ends in Zechariah 2, 10 to 13. Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming and I will live amongst you, declares the Lord. He says, many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. Do not neglect the day of small beginnings. With prophetic eyes, I see the nations coming already. I see people coming already from all around. God is going to gather people to this place. God is going to grow you into a great church, model church that will multiply across the city, multiply across the regions, multiply across the, the nations because that is his plan. And God's word will always come to pass. He says, my nation, many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be still before the Lord all mankind because he has roused himself to his holy dwelling. The time is now. God is restoring his church. He is building a happy people who will rejoice in him, who will glory in him, who will come together, a community that will show the world what the New Testament church should truly be like. What else can we ask for? What a glorious God. What a glorious church he is building. What an amazing work. I encourage us to put ourselves to it. Give of yourself. Put your heart in it. Put your hand to the wheel. Let's build this together. Let's show the world what a true community church is like. Let's show the world what God is doing. And God remembers and he blesses at the appointed time. Hallelujah. Amen.